Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings San Francisco 49ers Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Judd Zulget along here with you. And Judd, I'm going to cut you off the pass. And I'm going to say first that we all know that this was a not pretty football game as many in week one are. So... Let's just get that out of the way I first. I can't complain about how ragged the play was. I can't complain about the fact that it's going to take three weeks because that's just the way this league works now. Okay, I won't complain about it. You, you can, but let's complain about it a little later. Let's start with the most important aspects of this National Football League contest. Mm-hmm. A 24-16 win for the Vikings. I want to start with this being the way that the Vikings are going to win if they go far in the NFL this year, where we are going to see flashes and times where the offense is impressive and great throws at times and big runs or screens at times. But for the most part, Judd, this is the Minnesota Vikings defense that is going to win them games if they are going to win the division, make the playoffs, reach the NFC Championship, and so forth. And that was what we saw today. As you know, I, I much like Zim, like to break the season up into quarters. So I'll speak about the I season. did know that about I'll you. speak about this year in a matter of quarters. Uh, we've talked about this previously. I think what you just said is dead on accurate for the first, at least the first quarter of the season. That being said, if you can get the offensive line on track, and I'm not guaranteeing that you can, but if you can... I think this offense has the ability to become much more functional at some point in time, but it's not going to be now. We talked about this probably two weeks back. Today's game played out pretty much of the early season Viking blueprint, which is your defense is going to have to win you games. Your defense is going to have to play very well, which, by the way, it can. And and your offense is going to have to not make mistakes. But if you say, but if you say to your offense that we're going to have to rely on you, you're in trouble. Now it does help. Thank you very much. I think, in fact, you know what? I think the Vikings should send a care package home with San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan because they owe them a great debt of gratitude for coming into this stadium and deciding that it was going to be a good idea to run the football a lot of times, which I don't get. But yes, 
at least for the first four games, if not a little bit longer, I'm with you. I think what we saw today is going to be the blueprint for how this team is going to find success. And then you would hope gradually, especially if the offensive line improves, that you begin to see a more dynamic offense. But to expect to, but to have expected that today was asking a lot. Well, let, let's start with the, the defense to, to break it down here, and then we'll work our way around to the offensive line, Kirk Cousins, and Delvin Cook's return, and so forth. Jimmy Garoppolo finishes this game, Judd, 15 for 33, 261 yards, one touchdown, three picks, and he was sacked three times. And this is a defense that last year we saw play all of its starters for all the snaps the entire time. We did not see that today. Trey Waynes got hurt fairly early in the game after actually making a great play to break up a touchdown pass. And then we saw J. Ron Curse mix in at the nickel corner position, which we have not seen him play at all. We saw at one point all four defensive linemen come out of the game, which Sheldon Richardson said was pretty rare to see. Which the head coach was not pleased about. What, what did he say about Zim it? Zim said that uh, he... He was asked about the, the approach of trying to sub in guys because he did express it after last year that guys got tired. And he said, yes, I like the system, but we are not supposed to do all four at once. I will talk to Andre Patterson about that. Really? So wow, okay. taking, all, taking all four out like a hockey line change was evidently when it came to the head coach, not part of the game plan. And somebody decided they were going to do it. And I think Mike might have had a couple of um, F-laden words to describe his displeasure with all four guys coming out at once. Well, that was one of the times that the 49ers worked the ball down the field in that situation, but ultimately ended with an Alfred Morris fumble, uh, which goes back to your point about San Francisco. And we'll get into some of the issues that they had. But sticking with the defense, they showed today with working into Sean Bauer working in Stephen Weatherly, working in Jaleel Johnson, that they do have much better defensive line depth than we even expected. And Sheldon Richardson said after the game, these guys were really playing well in the preseason, and that's what the preseason is for, for these guys to show that they deserve to be on the field. And they did that. And this, to me, Judd, this was already the best defense in the league, but I had a lot of questions about how they would match up against really, really good quarterbacks. I'm not putting Garoppolo in the Aaron Rodgers category, no. but I was concerned about whether they'd be able to stay at the top with the combination of the schedule and the depth. One of those things I think was resolved today that they do have the depth to maintain their excellence on defense, even when they lose a starting corner. Mm -hmm. And Hughes pl played well. I mean, it was in the post game. Zimmer addressed the fact that he made some mistakes, and he probably definitely did. But Garoppolo throws a bad pass, and to Hughes' credit, he picks it off and walks in for a touchdown. And this is, I mean, this goes back to what we've ta talked about quite a bit. But this defense, flat out, is so well coached, and and they've. And Harrison Smith remains incredible. Sid asked a postgame question of Zimmer, basically said that Harrison Smith had taken heat from the local press. And even Mike Zimmer said, no, Sid, I don't think so. He had one bad game, Philadelphia. But Harrison Smith is an incredible player. I did. I found it very intriguing, though, to go back to a point that you brought up about the defense. I found it very intriguing that we saw a nickel package that had uh, three safeties on the field. And since they signed Iloka, we assumed that that three-safety package would be Harrison Smith, Sendejo, and Iloka. 
and not curse. So um, that, that was an interesting curveball, and I don't know if that means that Iloka is just not up to speed yet or if they, they like curse because we talked, what, a month ago or three weeks ago about curse's role and about the fact that, that he was clearly a good special teams guy, but the, there was even a conversation on this podcast, I believe, about if he was definitely going to make the 53-man roster. So it was really interesting when Waynes went out to see that he was not just used, but Curse was used in a very important role and used quite a bit, I thought. Now, I will say about Jaron Curse that going back to 2016, Mike Zimmer has been very high on Jaron Curse, and he has told us time and time again, I like Jaron Curse, I like Jaron Curse. And, you know, with some coaches, you could sort of blow that off. But when Mike Zimmer says he likes a defensive back, then there's a reason that Mike Zimmer likes a defensive back because he sees something that's there. And talking with Curse after the game, he said that it was part of the plan for him to work in at nickel. And man, he's the tallest nickel I've ever seen. Yeah. A guy at six, yes. six foot four, six foot five playing in the nickel is, is a little unique, but he was able to perform well and. Yeah, that would have been one of the things where I said, if you told me Jaron Curse is playing the nickel week one, I'd be saying, oh man, they're giving up more than 16 points. But the fact that they were able to adjust on the fly was very impressive. The defensive line did exactly what the defensive line does. It sacked Garoppolo three times. That interception was a blitz that Curse and Eric Hendricks came from the same side, but Daniil Hunter right there. If you had high expectations for Daniil Hunter, I think you're in the right camp because he looked like a complete He's monster. Have a huge year. Yeah, he looked like have a monster. An enormous today. year. Yeah, I've, I've been been saying this since he had this. Uh, I think it was preseason game two against Jacksonville. Here, he had the sack where he took the quarterback and and he schooled the the lineman trying to block him, walked right around him, took the quarterback and slammed him down with one arm. This guy is going to have a monster season. If he stays on the field, I, I think he's going to be fantastic. And this also, hey, look, this goes back to coaching, too. They took this guy that they, they basically took a flyer on, and this coaching staff, and to uh, Neil's credit as well, but this coaching staff has developed him into a guy who I think is going to be a Pro Bowl player for a long time. I mean, this guy is a specimen, and he's fun to watch. I would also say that I am the biggest Tom Johnson defender that you will ever find that I watched a lot of. Because he gave you X's and O's. That he gave me X's and O's in the locker room, but also his intelligence. You could see it on the field, the way he prepared, the way he would eat guys up, getting after the passer. He was an important part of their defense the last few years. He's not as good as Sheldon Richardson, and I think no. we saw that today. Sheldon Richardson is a monster in the middle. There's a reason why Mike Zimmer wanted him so badly to come in and fill that three-technique spot, and there's a reason that this man, after this year, my guess, is going to go somewhere else and get paid a ton of money because mm -hmm. he's very, very good. And I thought he was part of that just complete domination up front by the Vikings defense today. I believe on, on the last uh, pick that Smith got that basically put an end to this game, if you go back and look, Sheldon is right there on Garoppolo. And Garoppolo, Garoppolo flashed today at times. I mean, there's something there because there were, pre there were uh, uh, throws that he made under duress that were exceptional, but this defense is very, very tough too, and there were times he panicked. So, yeah, the – I think the Sheldon signing, I really contend this. I think the Sheldon Richardson signing comes down to this. Rick went and signed his quarterback, right? Three years, $84 million guaranteed for Cousins. And I think Mike came in and said, that's awesome. That's fantastic. I want a defensive guy like that. And they said, okay, we'll go out and get you a one-year guy. 
and uh, Richardson, his combination with Linval Joseph stuffing runs on first down. But that leads me to the next point, Judd, that, well, the defense's performance was fantastic. The San Francisco 49ers shot themselves in the foot from the head coach to the quarterback to wide receivers slash tight ends dropping 50-yard passes to, on the other side, dropped interceptions. I think that this building has an effect on other teams. That being on the road, being in here, being against a team so good, it's the not just the fans of the crowd or the lighting, but the intimidation factor of playing this team where we see teams make more dumb mistakes here playing against the Vikings than you usually do. Because today, there was a myriad of them all over the field for the 49ers. Okay, I'll give you players there. All right? I'll give you players. Garoppolo's young, impressionable. He's going to be good. In fact, I think that one day he's going to be very good. But I will give you players make mistakes because this is a tough place to play. But explain play calling to me. Why do you come in here and give the ball to Alfred Morris and on the goal line, basically, and say, you know what I want you to do? A-gap. It's Linval Joseph and Sheldon Richardson. You're not going to score. I just The play calling to me... For Kyle Shanahan to get flummoxed or or whatever happened, I understand the need and the want of an offensive mind to establish a run game, but is that how you're going to do it against this team? I mean, give yourself a chance. And, and there were times in the fourth quarter that they're down by two scores and they're still running on first down, and, and that doesn't even begin to address the one you mentioned, Alfred Morris at the goal line. Linval Joseph and Sheldon Richardson are in the middle. These are two of the best players at their position in the NFL, and yet opposing teams insist on trying to slam it up the middle. The Saints cost themselves a playoff win in this building by doing the same exact thing. But explain it to me. And you mentioned coaches. I mean, we saw Sean Payton outsmart himself last year and make mistakes coaching in the divisional game against this team. So even the greatest coaches, even ones who have won Super Bowls, they still make these mistakes, and I thought Kyle Shanahan's play calling was baffling at times. To continue to give the ball to a 30-year-old running back who's been washed up for a while time and time again in big situations was, was pretty stunning. And then you go to the other mistakes that the players made. Jimmy Garoppolo misses George Kittle wide open in the end zone, just overthrows yeah. him. That's not something I would expect Garoppolo to do many times. There's a dropped pick it might have been a pick six that Kirk Cousins threw and the 49ers gave that away so when we talk about the way that the Minnesota Vikings are going to win if it's their division the defense has to do what it did today pressure the quarterback it's going to have to have the depth that they have but also the breaks along the way are going to have to happen and I know that goes for anything but you really saw it today that the 49ers could have won this game and they just made so many mistakes that they took themselves completely out of it with the three picks, the fumble, the drop passes, and things like that. And I, I, get, the, I get the mistakes by players. I'll just go back to I don't get the game plan of we've got Alfred Morris. I wonder what we should do. Let's just play old school football. Let's just go up the middle. That's not going to work. So I understand when, when Garoppolo makes a bad throw, and I understand when, when a potential pick on what would have been a very nice play gets dropped. I get all of that. Uh, but when it comes down to the fundamentals of play calling, and, and Shanahan's so smart, caller that I thought that there were instances where, okay, he did this, and it seems weird, but it's trying to set up a different play or something. And I don't think it did. 
I think it was just him being stubborn and saying, we're going to run the damn ball. And, and I, I understand the fact that you can't abandon the run completely. But if it's Alfred Morris and you're at the one, I think I'm going to get a little bit more creative and try, so, try something that probably is a pass because you've got at least a chance of scoring against this defense on that play. I could have told you nine times out of ten, if you run him up the middle against these two guys, you're not going to score. Now, maybe when I go back and look at the tape, I will see some of the bigger plays that they were able to create down the field set up by runs. That You do sometimes see that where they show a formation and a setup on a certain down and distance, and then they go back to that because everything is so intricate, and maybe there is that. Maybe I'll find it. But it was the combination of running at the goal line, which baffled me, and the I formation slamming it up the middle, the yep. least efficient play you can have yep. in the NFL. I mean, that was one thing. You almost never saw that from Pat Shermer. Even when he was running Latavius Murray in, it was very rare that they were stuffing all the big guys together and doing it. The one thing I'm curious about, if you're going to see, is this. And, and Shanahan started the game this way, and I think he tried to do it a bit throughout the course of the game, and I actually like it, and I think it's a good idea. Keep the Vikings in ba- in their base defense as much as possible. Keep Gideon on the field. Keep the extra defensive back off. And I think it was in those situations a few times where, where they actually had success throwing the ball to the tight end. I would say if this Vikings defense is vulnerable in one way, it's just if you can keep them in base, keep three linebackers on the field and find a tight end because that play is there. But the problem there is eventually they're, they're going to see this on film as well, and I, I would guess that they're easily smart enough to adjust to that. So that's the one thing that San Francisco tried to exploit, and if I was them, I, in this game at least, I would have exploited as much as humanly possible. I would say if J. Ron Kurse continues to show that he can play in the nickel when required, uh-huh. then a third and four or third and five where they could run or could pass, second and seven, something like that, those are areas where if the other team brings in two tight ends, you send out J. Ron Curse as your nickel guy, and you treat it almost like it's a nickel package, except for it's with someone who's big enough to be a safety but is also quick enough, because that's why they drafted him in the seventh round. It was based on athleticism more than anything, and he doesn't seem like a dumb kid either. So you know, they've got you have to be able to do that to be with uh, Mike Zimmer for him to be able to hang around this long. So you take that athleticism and length, and then if he can fill in in other positions too like he did today, either he or George Iloka who could play this role eventually, mm-hmm. I think we saw all those things that we talked about going into this is we're going to see a more multiple defense from Zimmer, and we really did. Uh, on the offensive side, Judd, I thought that speaking of things that you expected to happen happening – Kirk Cousins was who we thought he is, that there were times where he made great throws, and that throw to Stephon Diggs, that throw to Kyle Rudolph, those two touchdowns are both A-plus throws on the money. Those are ones that Case Keenum rarely made. But there was some situational football things that really made you shake your head. There was, at the end of the first half, a throw to Delvin Cook that needs to be spiked at his feet to stop the clock. Yeah, that was bad. There's a near pick six that he just kind of wings out into the flat that he didn't see somebody and took an unnecessary risk on that. Yep. And there's one more. Oh, and him diving neck first. Oh, yeah, that wasn't smart. That, Although Zim I, defended I know it. that drove you crazy. Zim defended it. He said in that situation, and Cousins said the same thing too, I, I think that was crazy. But those, But that was... That was, as Les Frazier and Christian Ponder used to say, easily correctable. Kirk, don't ever do that again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he is 
he is basically everything we've talked about, which is he has the ability to make throws that a lot of guys can't make throws. Um, he brought up situational football again in his post-game press conference, and here's my thought process about that. I wonder if he's so obsessed with, with it that it's sort of an indication inside his soul that he thinks about it too much. Like that he gets because uh, – and this is – okay, so I've got a two-series sequence for, for you, and tell me if this is on Filippo uh, Cousins or both. But one two-series sequence that really shocked me was Xavier Rhodes picks off the pass. Uh, the Vikings are up at this point. It's early fourth quarter. The Vikings take over Matthew Collar with 14.37 left. They run three plays and punt. San Francisco gets the ball back with 13.43 left in the fourth quarter, and they end that drive with a Robbie Gould field goal. Then the Vikings get the ball back again, 8.09 left, three plays and out, and San Francisco has the ball back at 7.09. So how much time in between there, basically? So so the first one I gave you was 14.37 until 13. 1343 the second one 809 until 709 a minute possession the point being is those got to be situations where you eat clock Mm -hmm. and this is the situational thing that bugged me the most today because there's going to be games that are tighter and i don't care how you win but if you've got the ball in the fourth quarter with the lead you've got to eat clock so is your theory that this goes to the offensive coordinator the quarterback a combination of both because I think when the Vikings sit down and go through this game, this is going to be something that they need to take seriously and rectify because this that's the type of thing that will bite you in the ass come January. Well, I would say that some of it has to be on the quarterback because sometimes he has the opportunity to check to a run if it's past play. There's also uh, situations where if you take a sack, that's okay because it keeps the clock running, and that's actually better on a third down and long to take a sack than it is to wing the ball out of bounds because you at least kill another whatever it is, 40 seconds. So there is some of that. But I would look at that and say, you have Latavius Murray. This is what he's here for. This is what he's paid for. And Delvin Cook. But in that point, maybe Delvin Cook is feeling a little worn down in the fourth quarter. But this is a Latavius thing. Like, this is a big man who's made the Pro Bowl because he's big and can run over people. So bring him in as your sort of closer and kill three minutes off the clock. I mean, we saw them do that later in the game. But when you're up by as much as they are at that point, you need to start doing that as soon as you're in the fourth quarter. That Even Bill Belichick used LeGarrette Blunt to do things like that over the past few years, and they throw all the time. And if you're going to throw, it has to be the short passes, the bubble screens, the screens to get the ball moving down the field, but also the clock running. Absolutely. And they had so much success with the screens. I thought they went away from them a little bit, and they could have still been there in the fourth quarter. And even if they don't hit for big plays, the clock is still running. So I thought that that was the door being cracked open and probably a mistake by the play caller to allow that to happen. Now, overall, though, this was something that I wanted to talk about was Filippo's first day in office as the offensive coordinator. I mean, I thought overall he had a very good day. They got Delvin Cook six catches for 55 yards, nine yards a catch. Thielen hits on a big play, 34-yarder. I mean, the touchdown to Diggs, he ends up averaging 14 yards a catch. Overall, there was very little that I had to complain about, and what you saw, Judd, that I liked a ton was all, and this is very Shermer-like, all sorts of personnel. He used everybody he could. Stacey Coley got involved. Tyler Conklin got involved. This was one thing I loved about Shermer, where you'd look at the 
the game after, and it would be, okay, Thielen digs, five catches, six catches, then everybody else, one, 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 one. And that's exactly what this thing looks like. Uh, the score sheet I have in front of me is Conklin gets a catch, Rudolph gets a catch, but it's a touchdown. Yep. That, nice catch, too. That, Great catch. that was very good, I think, on DeFilippo's part to be able to spread yes. the ball around and use a lot of different personnel. And this is just going to take time, too. In fairness, in fairness to the entire, to all parties involved, which include the coordinator, the quarterback, the whole thing. This is just going to take time, which goes back to the original point at the top of this podcast, which is that your defense for a while is going to have to carry your team. And your offense needs to contribute and not screw up. And Cook can't have a great run that, that he fumbles at the end of and that results in a in a, a lost ball. But all of that being said, yeah, I, I don't think it's fair uh, to really start to pass a judgment on where this offense is at probably until week five or so. The only concern is, I think, immediately – when you go back and watch the film, is very clearly going to be left guard. I mean, Tom Compton was signed as a backup. He is a backup. He's Cousins' buddy. It's great he's here. I got no problem with that. Uh, but if you continue to have to try and start him, I don't know, I don't know that that's something that's going to uh, turn itself around. But if Elfline gets back and then Jones can kick out to left guard, I think your offensive line, while not outstanding, is going to be sufficient but overall i think all parties involved deserve at least four games or so to try and get on the same page before we pass judgment on is this offense is the continuity looking good or is something off still so let me just before we get back to the offensive line touch on delvin cook quickly that i think you saw it with delvin cook what has always been there with him that at one point he gets the ball and just shreds two tackles like they weren't even there and goes right by them for a pretty big gain. He didn't have a whole lot of area to run in. There were many times where he just didn't have space. And I think if Kirk Cousins doesn't throw him an ill-advised pass that he loses something like six yards, he's got you know a much better yards per catch for today. He still ends with averaging nine yards a catch, but it's even better if you take that one that uh, was not really his fault out of the picture. He showed you today once again that he is one of the centerpieces of this offense, if not the centerpiece, mm -hmm. because of all the different things he could do. He lined up at wide receiver at one point. This is going to be the Delvin Cook offense, and then everyone else works off it. If he's succeeding, then everybody else will succeed, and we saw that today. His presence is a factor too, right? Mm -hmm. That's the yes. biggest thing is – is if he has big days, that's great, but the key here is his presence because if he's in the backfield or he lines up wide, he has to be accounted for, and that's, and that's going to, as you just said, um, basically give the ability to create success for the rest of the personnel out there. So I just think, and, and this goes back to he is an ideal running back for 2018. He's the type of guy you absolutely need because you don't know what he's going to do uh, I think today he got off to a good start. I think he, t he tired out a bit, which was not a complete surprise. But nonetheless, the thing is, the reason why you got to keep putting him out there is the second he goes off the field, the offense becomes a lot more predictable. When he's not out there, you, or when he is out there, you have to account for him at every snap. Okay, offensive line. Without breaking down the tape yet, which, Judd? There will be an episode that is coming up where we take a look at is the your offensive, offensive line offensive guy line. going to be involved. Yes, he will. Awesome. The offensive line guy, Good. Brandon Thorne, will be back. Uh, well, he's so not going to be happy. With this one, I'm going to go ahead and guess he's not going to be happy because 
DeForest Buckner did what we thought he was going to do, and yep. he dominated this game. He had three sacks. That's how many he had last year. I mean, he, he was very, very disruptive last year. He was a monster in the middle, and it shows you just how badly they need Pat Elfine to come back and how Tom Compton can help you for a game mm-hmm. if you need him. Mm-hmm. And if there are other times that this season he has to fill in, but if it's any more than that, your offensive line is in trouble. And I would not give them particularly high marks on this day. You know what? I'm not, I'm not sure overall if that's true or not. I'm guessing that you're right, but it's just the Compton factor. The Compton factor, if he has to continue to play, um, it's going to be a problem. Now, ho- hopefully, for the Vikings' sake, Elfline's back in a couple weeks, and that's fine. But you could just see that interior pressure. And this also, you know what we did see today? Cousins has the ability to take off and run. He can do that. But Kirk Cousins, if he's going to maximize his potential for this team at quarterback, needs that interior pressure not to be consistently there. And there were times today where it was consistently there. And you can see him. You can literally see Cousins trying to wait out the pressure but not look comfortable there. So, yes, this is going to be – if this lasts for more than a few weeks, it's going to become an issue on Elfline's return because Tom Compton, if he needs to come in, can do that. But if Tom Compton needs to start consistently, you signed a quarterback to a three-year guaranteed $84 million contract. You did not sign it to make him skittish. Right. It's right. just that simple. I, I'm going to also say uh, about this offensive line and, and the impact that it has on Cousins – that that outside pressure seems to affect him more so than the inside pressure. And I know that Buckner was the one with the sacks, but when it comes to thinking he might have a little more time than he does, that seems like a thing he does. But he did do a nice job in running with the football today. Aside from neck diving. Aside from the head first. Yeah, that was just Aside from diving head first, but he still, he gave them a chance to get a first down there. And then run. We didn't even mention the hard count that San Francisco jumped on, which is still mind-blowing You know what, though? You know what? I loved it because it was it reminded us all of former Viking now, B-Rob. Brian Robison, who I believe bit on the Roethlisberger hard count in Pittsburgh last yep, year in like week two. So it was an ode to B-Rob that the 49ers guy went, took the bait and jumped on fourth and one and gave the Vikings a first down. B-Rob, that was for you. Okay, Let me put a wrap on this by saying that I view this win over the San Francisco 49ers on this day, Sunday, September 9th, as one of the most important to this season. That when you look at the first five games, Mm -hmm. the Vikings might put 70 on the Buffalo Bills, uh, considering what they did against the Rams in week one. But aside from that, you have... Aaron Rodgers, you've got the Rams offense, you've got Carson Wentz will probably be back for Philadelphia by then. This is going to be a really rough road, and in order to survive the first five games, they needed this one badly. And to get it, you walk away going, I don't care if it was ugly at times, this was the one you really, really needed to get to set you up for the rest of the season. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you lost this game and then you go to Green Bay next Sunday and there's no guarantee with that game yeah you could have got you could have easily if you had lost this game it could be one and four so yeah this game was was necessary um I knew this game would be tough I expected the Vikings to win this game in reality both teams I think can take this tape 
and break it down and say, we screwed up. And San Francisco is going to go back and watch this game and be like, we should have won that game. And they should have. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't, I didn't give that much thought to the Vikings actually losing to, to San Francisco because if they had, the conversation would have been, are you starting one and four? Are you winning? Okay, so you go to Green Bay and you lose. You're going to beat Buffalo. Are you then? Are you then putting your money on potentially a Thursday night win against the Rams out there? That's going to be tough as hell. Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, that's tough. So, I didn't really reserve a lot of thought for the fact that the Vikings could lose today or would would lose because then the conversation would have been one that for Vikings fans. They wouldn't have liked much. And you know me, Matthew Collar. I try and be positive at every turn drinking the purple Kool-Aid. Oh, yes, of course. And I just wanted to tack on before we sign off that Daniel Carlson was perfect today, just as you predicted, Judd Zelgan. Oh, that doesn't bite you in the ass until uh, December or January, Matthew. Oh, no, that doesn't doesn't come get you. The the ghost of kicker decisions does not come and get you in September, my good man, nor October or even November. But December and January are where your young kicker begins to tighten up. Uh, Zimmer also did say, and you would have been very, you would have smirked if you had been there for his postgame press conference, Matthew Collar. Zimmer also said something along the lines of, I know a lot of you wanted us to take an old lineman in the first round, but Mike Hughes, pretty good player. Couldn't help himself. Uh, so uh, I smiled and nodded. I said, I, yeah, I said you should take a guard. No question. Yeah, and how'd your left guard look? Yeah, I didn't. No, are you, are you okay, kidding? Just saying, just saying. I going to rub it into Zim um, like that. You know what? No one has ever argued that Mike Hughes wasn't a good player. I know. I watched his college tape, and it was darn good. I mean, really, seriously. Oh, yeah, no. This guy's, that was not the argument. This guy's college tape is unbelievable. The argument was, do you have a sufficient guard? Right. And the answer is, I, in fairness now, I think the answer is, if Brett Jones goes out to left guard from center and Elfline comes back, the answer might be maybe. Might be maybe. It might be maybe. And a little early to pimp that home run. We'll see how it plays out and how those decisions impact them long term. Oh, but I'm bad flipping. Mike Hughes had a tremendous first game, and I would expect him to be a good player who might be farther along than Rhodes was and then Wayans and Mackenzie Alexander, who is not getting that job back. And not after what happened today. Trey Waynes might be struggling to get his job back. I mean, I mean, I like Trey Waynes, think, but if Mike Hughes is as good as you say he is, this could be interesting. I'm not saying that Trey Waynes won't yeah. play. I'm just saying I wonder if the thought process of where Mike Hughes plays and where Trey Waynes plays and when might change a little bit if Mike Hughes has to continue to play if Waynes misses a few weeks. And if they keep Waynes around next year on his fifth-year option because he's set to make a lot of money. Yeah. But we are very far away from that decision just to start with, at least a great day for Mike Hughes. It's still very questionable to not draft an offensive lineman when that's your only need. But I'm not saying anything else. But Hughes had a fantastic game, especially, especially when you throw it right at him and he catches it and then walks into the end zone. Hey, that also what? helps too. You know what? It's a it's a nice touchdown return, uh, pick in the box score. I'm giving him credit. That's fine. As I told you before, I'm very positive today. Okay, one and zero. If you if they, if Judd is on the positive side, then we really know um, that it must have been good. So or that we need to go. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. We will have tons for you coming up this week on the Purple Podcast.